friendly altar. That's okay, but I really think there's a different phrase we need to use. I think we need to have a working altar. I'm not mechanical. I don't do woodwork. But I've been in the shops of those who do. And the one thing I've noticed, whether they're a neat freak or everything's scattered everywhere, is that their workbench was obviously a workbench. And I've been praying and pleading that our altars would be working altars. Which means at any time, on any day, at any moment, if there's work to be done, come on down. Because among those names, of those thousand names of who he is, healer and comforter, provider, the one who loves. That's why we have hope. That's why we've been looking at this theme of hope. Because hope is believing even when I cannot see it. And hope is sharing what I have, whether large or small. What we're looking at this morning is understanding that the hope that is in Christ is hope multiplied. One of the passages we've used each week is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Which means that hope is multiplied. John chapter 6 is a passage that is familiar from the story, but I'm not sure it's familiar for all the implications. It's where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and it's one of the few events that is in all four of the Gospels. If you have your Bibles or your Bible on your devices, I invite you to turn with me. In the New Testament to the Gospel of John chapter 6. And I like the version out of John for a very simple reason. This is the one passage that mentions the little boy with his lunch. More on that in a little while. But John chapter 6 beginning of verse 1 says, After this Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii. That's a denarii was considered a, a day laborer, a normal laborer's day's wage. So 200 days of wages is not even enough for each one to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Talk about hope. All you got's one kid's sack lunch. Which, by the way, I shared this. I, I shared a devotional with our board a couple of weeks ago. And I mentioned that one of my associates a number of years ago had preached from this passage on Mother's Day. And the title of his message was, What's Wrong With Your Mother? Because <laughs> he's going, How come only one kid's mom packed a lunch? <laughs> of all those people. Now, I had somebody one time when I said that say to me, all the other boys had already eaten theirs. <laughs> I've also always wondered, did the boy come up and volunteer it to Andrew? Or did Andrew kind of grab him and bring him to Jesus and say, he's got a couple things. The issue isn't how it got there. The issue is what Jesus did with what was there. And that's the same thing for you and me. The issue is not all the other stuff. The issue is not what he's doing in everyone else's life. The issue is, what will we let him do in ours? Because when I let him work in me and you let him work in you, then we can begin to multiply what God has already provided. Now, you see, I believe also that if we're going to mention hope multiplied, we have to mention grace multiplied. Because as we looked at the very first week, grace and faith and hope are intertwined. You can't really pull them apart from each other. So hope being multiplied is also grace being multiplied among us. If hope is going to be multiplied, that's after we're doing the actions we looked at last week that God has called us to do, it requires vision on our part. Chapter 6, verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He said to Philip, what should we do? Jesus already knew. He could see. We need to begin to see. And if we're going to multiply hope, we need to see the individuals around us and their needs. It's really easy. And our culture encourages us to only see our needs. 
most advertising pushes in on what your perceived need is or what they want your need to be. Rarely do they advertise, look around you to see who you can help. But hope multiplied is not just for me, it's to be shared. And for that to happen, I've got to see those around me. It is really easy to just blow by people, isn't it? We're focused. The very first church I pastored as a lead pastor, I would, there was only really one way out. <laughs> oh, for fire reasons, there were a couple other ways you could have gone, but there was only one practical way to leave the sanctuary. So I would do at that time what was expected of the pastor, and I went and stood by that door, and everybody who came by did what they were expected to do, and that was shake my hand. But sometimes it got backed up and I was kind of in a hurry and kind of wanting some of them to move. Many times on those occasions, Jody was standing by me and fortunately she was on this Sunday as a dear lady, her name was Bessie. Oh, I have to smile every time I remember her. She's about this tall. <laughs> as sweet as could be. And as she came by, and I'm saying, how are you doing, Bessie? And then I had my hand on her shoulder, moved her on, and turned to the next person, and I got an elbow in the ribs. <laughs> Not from Bessie. Jody said, did you hear what she said? She had told me a need. And I had just been in a hurry. Let's get them going. I'm hungry. And it was like, oh, yeah. So I went and pulled Bessie aside and talked to her, listened to what was there. Too often it's easy to kind of go, yeah, okay, let's go. I mean, how many times do we ask how someone is, but we don't really want to know? <laughs> it's just a greeting. How are you? We expect them and desire for them and plead that they will just go, fine, how are you? We need to see them. We need to hear what's going on in their life if we're going to multiply the hope that God has intended us to multiply. Secondly, we need to remember that Jesus always has a plan. Verse 6, he already knew what he was going to do. The rest of the disciples didn't. That's why Philip's going, well, man, I mean, 200 days wages... 40 weeks wages isn't even enough for everybody to get a bite. And then Andrew, well, we got one lunch here. But do you notice what he said at the end of that? He said, I've got one boy here with a lunch. And then he said, well, what's that among all this? Did you ever say that to God? What am I among all this? What do I have among all out there? You see, we have to remember that Jesus always has a plan. That we need to follow his plan. Now we need to know it to follow it, but if we're paying attention, we'll know what his plan is. And we need to know, we don't have to stop, drop, and pray to know that his plan is for us to multiply the hope he's already given us. We don't have to wonder 
if we're to reach out. We don't have to wonder if we're to pray. We don't have to wonder if we're to serve. That's already been taken care of. We need to follow his plan. And a lot of us, and especially those of you that are big planners, My plan quite often is at the end of the day, I make a to-do list and check off what I did. You're supposed to do it the other way around. But when I do it my way, I check everything off the list. But God's got a plan. We need to follow his plan, which means we need to just take the next right step. But those of us that get hung up on the planning, our problem is we want to know what the next hundred steps are. Right? God says, turn here, and we want to know where's the next turn and the one after that. And how long is this going to take anyway? I have a friend who shared that early in his marriage, he was, his wife were trying to work on the communication thing, and he said, I... I obviously wasn't listening well. At least that's what she thought. And she was asking if I would just listen to what she had to say. And he said, she started and I interrupted her and he said, just how long do I have to listen? <laughs> Miraculously, they're still married. <laughs> but I think a lot of us are doing that with God. Let's go. Like I was with Bessie. But all he's asked us to do is take the next right step and then the next one and then the next one. I don't have to know the end game. Sometimes he tells us, sometimes he doesn't. But do you realize that whole crowd, he sat them down and they had no idea why. They knew there was no buffet. They couldn't see it. Chick-fil-A had not come by. I mean, there was nothing going on. And he said, sit down. We're about to eat. And they did. Do you go ahead and just do the next thing? Or do you wonder why, how, when, and where? When you already know the next step. If we're going to have hope multiplied, we need to follow his plan. And all you've got to do right now is take the next right step. Third if we're going to put hope in action and have it be multiplied, you need to offer what you have. What you have right now. Verses 7 through 9, Philip answered, you know, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? They were forgetting a couple of things. Number one, God multiplies. If it's his plan, he'll multiply. And number two, they were ignoring the best resource they had, Jesus himself. They'd already seen him heal, raise people from the dead. And they didn't ask him, what do you think we should do? They were giving all of their opinions. We're famous for that, aren't we? 
Social media was created because we all have opinions. And we don't agree with anybody else's opinion. We need to remember not just his plan, but we need to then offer whatever we have. In the Old Testament, the Lord asked Moses when Moses was hesitating on the plan God had for him, said, Moses, what's in your hand? Well, it's a stick. It's a staff. I'm a shepherd. And he said, offer it. God used that stick to part the waters, to bring water out of a rock and many other things. You don't know what God wants to do with what you already have. You see, when we offer what we have, we need to make sure we don't focus on what we don't have. How many times are our prayers centered around what we'd like to have that we don't instead of, Lord, use what I've got? How often do we go, Lord, how come they have and I don't? Instead of saying, Lord, use what I have. I give it to you. David had a sling and some stones and God used that to bring a mighty victory. Jesus pointed out at the temple as people were giving their offerings because he saw one widow lady drop a couple pennies in and he said, that's the biggest offering here. Well, it wasn't the volume. It was that she offered everything she had. we're going to see hope multiplied. We need to offer what we have and then let God magnify and multiply what you have. It's amazing when we do that. My first official ministry position, I was an assistant pastor. I, I was mainly doing youth. And our first time we gathered with the youth, there were eight and three of them were seniors, and my first time meeting with them was in May. <laughs> Great prospects. And Jody and I worked, and we prayed, and the church was doing, doing good things. And about a year later, we had 25 to 30, and man, we were celebrating that. And then I began to sense God wanted to do more. And so I took a huge risk, changed our program around. And that group of 25 to 30, within about six weeks, went to 125. We had to kick all the adults out of the fellowship hall. We had had these portable walls and we all had our corners and we just outgrew it and they had to leave. Which, praise God, they did willingly and cheerfully. But one of the things on that multiplication, we had teams of volunteers and they were kind of assigned a group of kids to watch over and the excitement was growing among the youth. God was just moving. It wasn't us. And one Wednesday night, just, you know, the door opened and this whole group came in and then I saw the one couple, Mark and Jeannie, who were, who were the leaders of a group and I'm going, man, did you bring all those? And I go, Yeah. There was like 11. And I went, wait, wait a minute. Your car only seats five. How did you get them here? 
Mark kind of looked down and went, well, a couple of them were piled on top of each other on the back seat. I go, that's seven. I said, well, the trunk was empty. I go, no. He said, yeah. I said, the trunk was open. No, they, they held it down. Our church was outside of town on a highway. Put my arm around Mark and I said, Mark, that's incredible and don't you ever do that again. I said, how did that happen? He said, well, the first kid said, I got a friend that we were picking up. And the next kid said, I got a friend and three came out. And the next kid thought, isn't that just like God? But only because Mark and Jeannie said, we don't have a big car, but Lord, it's yours. What do you have to offer? What does God want to do with what you already have? Give it to him and let him multiply it. Number next, whatever it is. Follow God's blessing. What he is blessing, follow it. You've heard me say recently, often, too often we're praying for God to bless our stuff instead of saying and looking around and saying, Lord, what are you already blessing? Let me get in on that. God will always bless when his word is used and his will is followed. Now, to do that, to follow God's blessing requires obedient action. That's what the last two Sundays were about. We need to act, but we need to act obediently. And it requires a recognition of God's blessing. Man, I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes to see the blessing because I'm seeing the problems. What if in your prayer time this week, you took the first few moments and words of your prayer just to identify the blessing God's already given. If you need some help, we're allowed to worship freely. We don't have to hide. We don't have to worry about arrest. That's not true in a whole bunch of the countries around the world, and they still get together. You're breathing. Say, yeah, but I got these things wrong. I just said to focus on the blessing for a moment. What, you, what is he already doing? Let's get in on that. And then lastly, if God is going to multiply it, we need to make sure we don't waste the blessing and the multiplication. Verses 12 and 13, it says... <clears throat> And when they had eaten their fill, notice that, they were full. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be wasted. We need to recognize that God will bless, but we're not to waste the blessing. We need to make sure that we don't hoard it. 
We're never to hoard the blessing and the multiplication of hope that God has provided for us. It is not just for us four and no more. We have empty seats. Let's keep inviting them. Let's go where they are and show and share the hope so that they want to be a part of it. And let's recognize that what happens out there is just as, if not more important than what happens in here. When we're his hands and feet as we go. You see, we are to generously share it. The hope, the dreams, the forgiveness, the grace. You see, this includes all that he has already provided and what he is about to provide. Let me ask you, what are you multiplying with your actions? The beauty of multiplication is how fast it can spread. What are you using? What are you doing with what he has already offered? And how's your vision? Are you seeing him and his blessings? Are you seeing the plan that he has? If not, just ask, he'll show you. It's not a, it's not a trick. It's not a secret. He's not got some special formula that you have to jump through these hoops to be a part of his plan. You just say, yes, Lord, here I am. Am. He used Samuel as a young boy. He used the widow and her mites. He used the little boy with the barley loaves and fishes. He used Peter who so often opened his mouth only to put his foot in it. Peter gives me great hope. <laughs> he wants to use you as well. His hope through you and he'll multiply it. We're in a world right now that needs hope and needs it multiplied. Who are you going to help this week who needs some hope multiplied in their life? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for speaking clearly in your word. Thank you for, as we sang having your Holy Spirit rain down today. Oh Lord, help us not to just look back fondly at this moment in this service. Oh Lord, help us to take this with us as we go into a world that's lost and many of them think it's hopeless. Lord, may we show and share the hope you have, the hope we have in you and may it get multiplied Give us the courage to just offer whatever we have. The little car, the sack lunch, the two pennies, or whatever you've already provided. And as we do, Lord, I know you're going to multiply what's offered. Lord, let that be true in me, in us and in this community. In Jesus' hopeful and powerful name, I plead for these things. Amen.